0: Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise.
1: Hello, and welcome to the CM360 Podcast. I'm Richard Steen, and Chief Research Analyst at IT Harvest. I write books on IT security, and I work with IT security technology providers on their go-to-market, and I'm a trusted advisor to CISOs and their teams. IT Harvest is an industry analyst firm that covers over 3,700 vendors in the IT security industry. Today, I'm joined by Devin Johnson, who's Security Operations Specialist at Palo Alto Networks, and we're here to discuss the role of automation in rapid breach response. Welcome, Devin. Thank you, great to be here. Devin, give us a little background before we begin on how you got into your role in security operations.
0: I'm approaching my 11th year being as part of a SOC team, I ended up going to school for my bachelor's degree in IT security because I was that kid who was always trying to take stuff apart. I have two younger brothers. They both played sports. And when we got our first family computer, I was just hooked. So it became a natural progression for me to go to school for tech and then i ended up in the security
1: space and have been there since awesome 11 years boy we should be talking about burnout and all that but we're not we're talking about exciting stuff Um, the role of automation and rapid breach response how do you define rapid breach response in the first place uh for palo alto network palo alto networks Our SOC team of 10
0: analysts handles 95% of the incident response, and our SOC team is internal facing. So we are not managed services. We're not looking at our customers' data. Our role is to protect ourselves. And we do that very much acting like a customer of Palo Alto Networks ourselves. We use all of our own tools, uh, including automation and Cortex-Xor to help us analyze and respond to security incidents. But... Two to three times a year when we have a large all-hands-on-deck type of incident, take solar winds or Log4J, for example, we engage our Unit 42 team to help us augment the hands-on-deck in the SOC, do a deeper dive investigation. And those are the ones that generally last a few days. For the most part, we're able to quickly respond to all of our security alerts, and we've got them closed off in the same day. So for us, the breach response is the larger activity where we need to bring in some support.
1: And that brings up the question of planning for a breach response. In addition to the automation we're gonna be talking about, it seems like every time somebody gets hit by a major breach or you know, a major patching issue like Log4j, they're not prepared. And they don't have a playbook. They don't know who to call and what the next steps are. There's, and what do they call it? Uh, dialing trees or aren't set up, et cetera. Uh, what's your advice to organizations that aren't as far along as Palo Alto?
0: Certainly having that dialing tree or incident response plan is key, but one of the ways in which we prepare, uh, specifically in partnership with Unit 42, is through tabletop exercises. One of the services they offer to us and customers is proactive assessments and incident simulation. So we sit down with them and we walk through a mock incident with those experts and researchers in Unit 42 and looking at how our tools are configured, whether those be automation or detection. So that at the end of the exercise we have a pretty good idea that should a specific type of attack happen today how are we going to respond to it what is the automation going to do and then on the other side of that coin we do purple team exercises as well and the difference with the purple team exercise is we have our red team or the mock attackers actually try and conduct that attack so instead of just talking about it actually run it and then see how our tools and
1: team response. Awesome! So that's live fire. They're not running it in a uh, sandbox environment. Very much so. And a lot of
0: teams have heard of you know the typical red team exercise, which we do as well. Um, but the purple team is more of a collaborative effort between the blue team and the red team, which is something a, a lot of organizations have not looked into yet, as they're uh, at a more junior point in their maturity.
1: Yeah. Give us a feel of the hour by hour for a recent rapid breach response that you've gone through.
0: Well, some of the most recent ones um, have been related to internal applications. So these are things that won't have a public advisory, but based on something that has been built for our own employees and We don't even know how it works because we're not the ones that built it. This is a common thing within incident response where the SOC may not be the experts in how that application works or how that uh, specific attack would flow. So we reach out to Unit 42 to assist us. Uh, They have consultants on standby who will come in and help us comb through evidence. A lot of the analysis that has to happen in the early points is just looking at raw log data. And the more eyes you can get on that quicker, we're going to be able to find the points of interest. And we're also able to use our tools. We have automation in Cortex XOR, and now as well in our new uh, tool, Cortex XIM, to help us correlate, use machine learning to identify patterns uh, and standout activities so that we don't have to spend so long as the human analysts trolling through all of that data, and we can more quickly get into the stages of containment and response.
1: And I I guess you get some benefit from AI or machine learning from those tools, but is there more activity in the AI realm that you're deploying in the SOC? Absolutely. When it comes to
0: machine learning in particular, Palo Alto Networks is the largest cybersecurity company in the world. We have over 10 years of historical malware analysis, and we're growing that by over 30 million samples per day. We've got 85,000 customers who are generating over 500 billion events per day. So all of that is feeding into that machine learning that we're using and subsequently back into the detections in our tools. So even our customers are able to take advantage of all of this telemetry that we're collecting. And that's across the whole stack. We have different levels of machine learning uh, that are doing detection in all of our products and As time goes on, as we collect more data, that's what's really improving on those detections. And it's not something that we need to build as the SOC team or the security team, which a couple years ago, that really was up to whoever was part of the SOC or the network security team to come up with all of those detections. But today, we get to rely on the tools a lot more and save our time for the fun stuff.
1: Yeah, right. I can imagine because you're, you know, you're serving your your single customer, internal Palo Alto. But I imagine there are still tools that Palo Alto doesn't have and that you use. Does that lead to either new developments of Palo Alto's tools or eventually is that how some of the many acquisitions that go on are determined? Certainly our SOC
0: has played a big part in a lot of the acquisitions that have happened. We started building our internal SOC team around seven years ago, and we were using uh, different SIM vendors. We had uh, different endpoint technologies, none of which were part of the Palo Alto Networks platform today. In those seven years, though, we have moved all onto our own platform, save for a few. For the most part, all of our major detection sources are now part of our platform, and many of those acquisitions came from our sock trying the tools out. We are frequently brought new tools. We try them out. We give our opinion on them. Sometimes they disappear and we never see them again. And then sometimes six months later they end up part of our stack.
1: Awesome. We were talking about automation and you know there's a big leap between knowing what to do and, you know, taking some action on the part of humans to do it and allowing any system to actually make a change to the network or configuration. Are there some instances where you'd say, you know, yeah, we're always gonna do this. We're always gonna take that system offline and isolate it and clean it up uh, automatically? Certainly. And we've reached this point, not
0: overnight where we trust the automation to take certain proactive actions without any human input. There was a bit of trial and error and learning where does the benefit outweigh the risk in having automation go proactively, take something off the network, as an example. And the great thing about the automation tools that we have available to us today is they're completely customizable. Although... Many organizations, we're going to have an overall similar structure for how we respond to certain types of incidents. Many of the subtasks within that response, take phishing, for example, are going to be similar. We want to figure out, are these emails actually malicious or not? Is this link, is the attachment, uh, is there a reputation on this sending host? So in that regard, we don't have to be focused a lot on building really Corner edge cases in the automation, we're able to leverage the technology to follow an existing incident response plan, whatever that
1: may be, to our benefit and tweak as time goes on. This is great because one of my biggest concerns for the future is that the bad guys are working on automation as well. Certainly, and and you know, no question that you know the ATP groups are doing this, right? They. Put the most effort into designing their attacks. And we, you know, so many organizations or surveys come out and it's like, hey, the mean time to detect and mean time to clean up is measured in days at the very best companies and months at the very worst. But days isn't going to cut it when there's an automated attack, which could be executed in minutes.
0: Sure. And the automated attacks some of them are not all that sophisticated. One of the biggest pain points for organizations today is still phishing. And if you think about the typical phishing email that used to be easy to spot because you know it had bad grammar or it was asking for something outrageous, well, now we've got large language models that can generate new phishing campaigns or social engineering en masse. That's not very technically difficult, but it's able to trick a lot more people and you end up with more incidents, so we're at that point where we must fight fire with fire. We must be using automation.
1: It's going to be interesting. And you mentioned AI for writing those emails, but the AI could also be um, running the automation, right? Make the agent-based AIs that we're looking at now can figure out what the next next task is. They can just move right down the miter attack technique framework. Certainly. And just the amount of data that we have to analyze.
0: Just under three years ago, our own SOC was ingesting about 36 billion, or sorry, uh, this was the current number, 36 billion. Three years ago, it was just 1 billion per day. Wow. Events, just observable occurrences on the network. So the uh, volume of data has 36 uh, x in just under three years. And you put that into the next three years, and it's just going to continue to exponentially grow. And There's no way we can hire enough analysts to look at that and come up with detections, nor do we want to. Where we provide the most value as analysts is looking at those advanced threats where there may not have been a detection. We want to have time to be doing more threat hunting. There's no way we're going to get 100 people to get together and sort through
1: 36 billion lines a day. Uh, you know, has there ever been thoughts on the part of your team of offering your managed service, you know, which would be quite an expansion to your customers? Unit Forty Two does have uh, a
0: couple ways okay. the customers can engage with them today. There is the managed detection and response, which are those consultants that you can have on retainer to help you when you need to spin up. Uh, an incident. And then they do the proactive consulting as well. So the the unit 42 team will do assessments uh, of your current security posture, do those tabletop exercises or incident simulation, and offer that as a, a strategic advisory service. And then for our customers who are using Cortex today, Cortex XDR, Cortex XIM, unit 42 does also offer managed threat hunting. So they will go into your logs and help you find detections. And we use all of those services in our own SOC as well. We engage them just like our customers would and find them to be a
1: very, very valuable addition to our incident response operations. Then do you pass off some of your best practices? I'm sure you have customers that are themselves MSSPs using your tools for threat hunting and incident response. Do you guide them or does unit 42 guide them in best practices?
0: Absolutely. All of our customers and partners are going to find value in those services offered by unit 42. And we do share a lot of those learnings from our own SOC as well. That is part of my role to share our own learnings with our customers, whether it be through our products or through engagements like this, because we often find we are on the the leading edge of what it means to be a SOC today. And we have the benefit of getting to influence all of our own tools to our own benefit and subsequently our customers. So it's a very exciting time to be in a leading SOC with the latest and greatest technology.
1: Yeah, it really is. I haven't been in the process of writing up all my thoughts on the past year. And my question for you is, you know, over the year, did you see a change in the attacker activity levels.
0: Absolutely. We really started hearing about um, machine learning and AI and attacks over the past two years because of the flourishing large language model case. So there's a lot of companies who are now just looking at automated attacks for the first time when previously we had static rules in the sim and the SOC was trying to make all of their detections. It really has been a wake-up call both on the offensive side and the defensive side. Um, And there's a lot of teams trying to play catch-up right now and make sure that their technology stack is prepared for attacks today, but also future-proofing them because we're moving so quickly. And obviously with automation, the ease and and the, the speed at which new attacks can be rolled out using the automation that's available today just
1: continues to increase do you think as a industry analyst i'm you know looking for signs that the our industry responds to market pressures and frankly i don't see them you know it's mm-hmm. uh there's a little bit of pullback on spending when you know we think we're entering a recession but the attackers don't let up as a matter of fact The the attackers use any excuse to increase their activities. So it's not not like the demand goes away, even though spending might be lower. What we're seeing happen with a lot of customers and partners
0: is the move towards consolidation. There are some organizations who have to pull back on spending, even in the cyberspace. We've seen layoffs, uh, even in cyber roles. But what that is resulting in is looking at how can we optimize that spend. And in the past, we used to have to have 12 different vendors in order to be successful in our defenses. But Palo Alto Networks has led the way in the platform approach. We are living proof that you can consolidate, not necessarily into one vendor. We're doing it uh, in our own space. But it is possible to reduce the number of pain points and reduce the complexity and reduce spend while increasing your coverage.
1: Yeah, and I think it's I mean, it's great that Palo Alto is actually executing on that, whereas some large platform vendors, the platform only exists in their PowerPoint presentations. So it's uh, so it's given the concept a bad name. But obviously Palo Alto's customers are in a position to judge just how well it works.
0: That's it. And I've been there. I know is a hard sell sometimes to your leaders or your own organization and go let's put all of our eggs in one basket but we try to show our own internal story because it is the direction we have been moving in and it is working for us and it may take some time moving from different security tools to others is a a big investment and it should be done thoughtfully but it is possible and we do offer ways to help get our customers
1: and partners there, just like we've been doing internally. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Devin. I really appreciate your coming on. Also, thank you to everyone listening. We hope you took a lot away from today's podcast. For further information on what we've talked about, please head on over to PaloaltoNetworks.com and drill down to the Cortex XOR page or follow the link in the podcast notes and we'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast until then make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms follow the conversation on our socials at em360tech on twitter and linkedin and for more great daily content head on over to em360tech.com